Hello, all my friends out there. Mark Movie Man here, and uh, we've got a special interview for you today with Ben Lewandowski. He is a director, editor, a man with uh, many talents and wears many hats. Uh, he recently worked on films of uh, Skeletons in the Closet, as well as The Rake, which recently showed at the uh, in Oshkosh at the New Horror Film Festival. So uh, how you doing tonight, Ben? Real good. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad you could join us. I know it's a little late tonight here, but uh, glad you could sit down and talk with us because uh, I, <laughs> I always enjoy uh, talking to uh, indie filmmakers in that because uh, you always get some interesting stories and such. So uh, you do editing and uh, you're also you've also directed a few projects as well. Uh, what made you want to get into filmmaking? We'll start there. Um, I didn't. Um, actually <laughs> I went to, uh, I went to film school actually to be an academic. I wanted to be a professor. Oh, okay. Uh, I wanted to teach uh, film history, uh, cause that's my background. Mm -hmm. And then after my first semester, you know, you just kind of get hypnotized by these young brash outlaw filmmakers. And mm -hmm. then what I found out very quickly is that, uh, while going to school, I didn't have to work a nine to five. I could make quite a bit of money editing for mm -hmm. filmmaker. And that's how it got started. I became an editor first and I'm always going to be an editor. I'll probably never leave, you know, that desk. Um, but, uh, I learned quickly that you can make money in this business, like right away, right away. Mm -hmm. So that's why I never left, uh, or probably never will leave uh, the position of uh, of cut man, box man, editor, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Sure. Well, I, I I've talked to a few other people too, and and some directors like editing, but many would prefer to leave it to someone else. <laughs> most don't. Yeah, most don't. I've I've worked I've worked side by side with probably I don't even know now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got 200 credits to my name, so I've probably worked with uh, 80 different directors. And for the most part, I'd say the vast majority of them hate cutting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, they, say, <laughs> they say it's the loneliest room in the film business. So and there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can understand that. Uh, just editing uh, some of my really small projects. So uh, but if, if you do enjoy it, uh, it, it can be uh, it can be fun. But. Uh, editing, yeah, it seems to be uh, a little bit. Though some directors really like to edit, uh, in which case you can usually tell those projects they tend to be a little bit longer uh, when you have that happen. But um, oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, speaking of working with directors, though, you've uh, the director of Rake and also a co-director of Skeletons in the Closet. How did you uh, get in uh, connected up with Tony Wash? Um, well, here's the funny thing. Long before we started working on any of these, Skeletons in, Clo in the Closet is a really odd bookend to our relationship, and I'll tell you why. In very early 2012, I decided for whatever reason, probably because um, Brad Miska was putting together the original VHS, and I knew that that was going on. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, uh, this is probably going to be a subgenre that's going to come back into the zeitgeist um and sure enough it did 
So in March of 2012, just on a whim, I put together a series of emails that I sent out to three other um, notable Chicago horror directors. Tony was one of them, and he's the first one that got back to me. So while I was on vacation in Los Angeles in, I want to say, late March, I think it was late March 2012, we had a conversation, and he pitched to me Graham O'Malley's Pantry, which okay. is Skeleton's short film. Right. And we put together the blueprint uh, and the baseline um, and started discussing pre-production right then and there in that hotel room in L.A., and lo and behold, by Memorial Day weekend 2012, he was shooting that film. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That movie got started real, real quickly. Now, here's where it gets interesting. So later that year, two other directors shot their films. I started shooting my film, which is uh, The Dismantler, the one in the junkyard. Um, fast forward to 2014. The movie has been basically completed with the exception of some um, post-production work. But we lost two of our directors. Oh. So Tony and I decided to just take our movies out and we would go our own way. And then, of course, the inevitable happens. You know, life happens. And then, of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional editor. So, of course, I, I have a lot of projects all the time. Sure. You know, you know in... in since we started shooting um, the beginning of Skeletons, which at that moment was called Chop Shop, which is interesting because that's the film inside of the film, inside of the film. That's the that's the video that uh, the widow takes out. That's that's the the Chop Shop movie. That's actually mm -hmm. what the film was called uh, a couple years ago. So lo and behold, you know, uh, other projects came in came to the forefront, you know, uh, Tony went to work on High in the Hog with, with Sid Haig, and then, of course, other movies came up. The Muck came up, World of Death started. We got involved in The Rake. Um, go to fall 2016, Tony starts talking about putting together um, a new finale um, or a new new series of components to, to finish the quote-unquote Chop Shop movie. Right. And the basis of skeletons in the closet uh we move into uh 2017 we start shooting we get all that done we move into post uh we get the film finished um i think we march and april of 2017 and then we we moved out of post in in the fall uh we sold the movie to cow lamp in chicago and then we of course had our release um this September, September 7th when the movie uh, debuted. So that's how Tony and I got involved. Um, it seems like Skeleton's our newest movie, but it's actually our first movie together in a very roundabout type of way. It's kind of a strange story. Seems the way uh, a lot of films uh, tend to go and people don't realize it until, I think in the last few years with like films like... Uh, cabin in the woods and that to where people realize that there are some complete films that you know don't get out to the public right away that actually been sitting for a while completed and so uh, that's yeah that's a really interesting story that that ends back to being and, the first one. and, and uh, interestingly enough high in the hog is the same way i mean we can talk about that later but it's the it follows almost the same format that movie was mm -hmm. also completed and then 
the EP and the writer, Kevin Lockhart, he, he, he figured out that he wasn't going to be able to sell it in that version. So, oh. so I was approached to come in there. And, you know, that's usually been my background anyway, is I'm what they call a rehab editor. You come in and kind of uh, uh, tidy things up a bit. <laughs> I don't know if you even want to call it. I'm really more of a rebuild guy. You know, mm -hmm. um, I did the same thing with Olympia, which just screened in L.A. and it's uh, Chicago International Film Festival. That was the same type of project. I, I, I had an assembly and I reconstructed the film completely differently. I did the same thing with High in the Hog. I had a blueprint, but the movie is... 180 degrees different and rake is the same way at least what what the version that's that's public right um, completely different from our version um but you see that a lot when it comes to movies especially once they're sold by a um a larger distributor yeah i i had been brought up uh in conversation uh offline about the rake and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to kind of talk to you because i i was finding this story fascinating because my friends and i thought that you know when we watched it the first like 12 minutes was really solid it's like holy crap this is what we want yes and then the rest of the film just felt different it felt like there were bits missing and then come to find out that uh yeah once it was sold well i mean how did that that all come about then and, and the film that everybody has seen is actually just it seems like a completely different project than what was intended it is in in a lot of different ways um i can only speak to what i witnessed and my specific part but i was brought into the movie in um or at least i started cutting early april of 2015 mm -hmm. and i had worked on a cut Tony worked alongside me until August of 2015. And I can't say that I was actually fired. I mean, I was, I was paid quite well to work on rape. The movie was taken from us. Um, and then they spent two years. You're probably asking why did it take two years? I don't know, but they spent two years, actually longer than two years retooling the movie. Um, cause it came out, I believe in June of this year, now 2018. So, the movie had actually been with the distributor since fall of 2015. We're not really sure what they were doing in that time. But to make a long story short, um, what had happened is we had gotten to about, I would say we were about halfway there. I mean, we had a full assembly, but you also have to remember this. The opening 10, 12 minutes that you're so fond of, that had actually been shot when I was cutting the movie. So I was dealt pretty shitty hand in that I had an incomplete film. Wow. And the reason that's important is in a lot of the reviews, one of the things that people really keyed in on besides the performances and some of the casting was the second act mm -hmm. uh, that it really dragged. And the reason it, the reason it did is the, the filmmaker, the, the distributor, they didn't really know how to deal with the second act. My plan was to introduce elements from that opening into the second act. Mm-hmm. And I could go, there's a laundry list of things we had in the movie that were that were removed or changed and things that we were going to put in certain different places. But um, to make a long story short, it's, it's, I've, this is Tony's first, this is Tony's first um, experience with something like this. Mm -hmm. Fortunately or unfortunately, I've been here before a couple of times and this will not be the last where a movie is, fortunately, I'm not the, the writer or the director, so I'm not as close to it but i will say this 
I was very, very disappointed when Rake was taken from us because um, we hadn't got a chance to finish. Right. Like literally, we hadn't we we had an incomplete puzzle. Um, and I mean, that's what a movie is basically. It's a it's a it's a puzzle that you have to build and solve simultaneously. Mm-hmm. But not only did we not have all the pieces, we didn't even know what it was supposed to look like. So, so the 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 cards were really stacked against us in in, in that. But I, it's also disappointing because I think. I shouldn't say I think. I know our version was superior. Sure. Um, and not because I'm biased, it's because our version was a lot more visceral and intense. Mm-hmm. And for lack of a better term, it was fucking scary. <laughs> it was really scary. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't bother me, actually. The thing that really, really gets to me in not only reviews from strangers, but people that I'm close to, other colleagues... The thing that really, really got to me is I spent a lot of time on honing performances. Mm-hmm. The, the the two edits side by side are completely different in how the performances are built. A lot of people don't like a lot of the characters in the rake. And I can tell you right now, our version is completely different. Tony and I, and more importantly, Jeremy Silver, Silva, the, the screenwriter, they built we built very, very strong characters, likable characters that have very defined and specific trajectories. And I'll give you a good example of that. Ironically enough, when Tony pitched this movie idea to, to the distributors in LA, and that's all I'm going to say, I'm not going to identify anybody by name, obviously. I'm just going to keep it vague. Mm -hmm. He said to them, I want to create a hybrid of the shining and an alien. And what he meant was he wanted to combine the atmospherics of both films, the tone and the horror elements. And one of the interesting, I could even go as far as saying ironic criticisms of the original shining, especially by the author, Stephen King is that Stanley Kubrick's Jack Torrance was, was for the most part, crazy from the onset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of people with Rake, the the character that got the most gruff was um, Andrew, the the husband, played by an L.A. actor named Joey Bacicci. In in our version of the Rake, we very very deliberately made him a very very likable character, a very loving husband, a doting husband. There's scenes. There's a great lovemaking scene early on the film that was cut. Um, and it shows this terrific relationship between, between played by Rachel Melvin, who's terrific in this movie, by the way. And there's a, there's a, there's peaks and valleys um, to his personality and to his performance. And he has this very, very general decline. He goes crazy because of the monster. In the L.A. version, from minute one, he's just an asshole. And I don't know why they did that. They must have thought they were, I don't, I'm, you know what, I'm not even going to to comment on that because I just, I just don't know. I just mm-hmm. don't. But that was one of the major criticisms of the movie. And I can tell you right now, our version didn't have any of that bullshit. We spent a lot of time in making sure that these were well-defined, well-researched, 
very thorough characters. You know, they had, they were full of love and they were full of honesty and they were full of compassion. And that just got lost in the translation from one edit to the other. A couple of the performances, um, and I'll, I'll, this is, this isn't, this isn't necessarily conjecture, but this is my opinion. I don't think that the, the, uh, producers in LA liked some of the, um, actors that, that, this side of the equation had picked sure um mm -hmm. because her performances got cut to shit uh darcy wood's a great example she actually is in skeletons in the closet too she plays rebecca wood the the newscaster stephen brody who is in the brand new puppet master movie they trash the living shit out of his performance and in my opinion he's very very good in that movie everybody's mm -hmm. really really good even joe Nunez, who i don't even think fits in the movie <laughs> yeah you, you could see that in, in parts and that was one of the main things that struck uh struck us who uh after we saw it was the you mentioned the andrew character you can tell you just you don't like him from the beginning you just and, don't you know <laughs> it's just so unlikable and it's like why am i sitting here with these fucking people for 80 minutes you know i can't stand them and i i get that you know i i that that was that right there besides anything else was a heartbreaker because I spent so much time, so much time crafting, you know, the very, very specific pieces of coverage, you know. Mm -hmm. And this movie, this movie had a lot of coverage. You know, so I had <laughs> a lot. And that's what's funny, because the version that you see, at least in my opinion, is what's a nice way to put this? <laughs> kind of lazy. Right. But you don't you don't have a lot of and that's great to hear that at least that uh you know that's what your original intention was and it sucks that it was cut down like that because this one i mean outside of uh the main character as uh ashley uh you really don't care for the other characters because they all are whittled down to to i'm not sure what to, to they're all just hyperventilating and being crazy that's what it looks like yeah. i mean i i don't get it it's I don't know if that's how Hollywood interprets um, psychology or, or mental illness, but everyone is just freaking hysterical, and it's that was not that was not the intention at all, you know. And that's what's frustrating. It's frustrating because the when you're a film director, you you, you can't say what I'm saying right now. Right. Um, it helps that I don't have an NDA, so I can pretty much say whatever <laughs> the fuck I want. Um, you. You know, you could make the argument that's a little irresponsible, but I think the reason I'm having this conversation with you right now is my colleagues are my friends, and I don't like it when they take shit unfairly. So mm -hmm. I kind of want to just set the record st straight that that was that was not our intention. That was not our intention. No, that is not the movie that Tony wanted to make. That Rob shot. That that Jeremy Silva um, wrote. You know, that was just not our intention. There is definitely a much, much better movie out there that unfortunately people probably never see. Right. But I had heard, I mean, I, I, I've heard horse thinking about it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, well, I had heard uh, stories about distributors in that as well as uh, from other filmmakers how uh depending on the contract some of them you, you just sign it away and they just do whatever the hell they want with the film unfortunately and 
and there's nothing the original filmmakers can say about it anymore once they they sign the distribution deal or like uh the one film that is behind the scenes and it was kind of an eye opener because they came out and said it right on the extra features uh it was um was it i piss on your corpse and i spit on your grave yeah. is the film yeah um but they said that the distributor that they had the cut that's on the dvd was not the one they wanted but the distributor said the only way they would get the film out is if they put more graphic sex scenes in there or a sexual scene in there. <laughs> so they had to reshoot a whole other scene, which was the one scene that I thought uh, didn't quite fit with the rest of the film. And uh, it's like, then you find out, oh yeah, well, no, to get the distribution, they wanted, they wanted more, more nudity and sex in it. I'm like, wow. I'm oh, like, yeah. Sometimes distributors are contractually obligated to provide certain territories with X number of sex scenes, mm-hmm. um, pieces of violence, even implied sex scenes. Um, and don't get me wrong. Look, I'm, I'm of the belief that sometimes the, the director needs to be out of the editing room. There's no doubt about it. Sure. Oh, okay, definitely. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, not going to sit here and the director gets it because if that was the case, every movie would be five hours long. Don't get <laughs> yeah. me wrong. But in this particular case, this particular case, um, Tony should have been able to deliver the movie he wanted to, you know, I, right. I, and I usually don't say that, but in this, and, and like I said, you know, I, you can accuse me of being biased cause, cause Tony and I are not only are we close friends, but you know, we're partners, but if I could step aside and, and, and be a casual observer, and you know what? I was a casual observer. Once I was removed from the movie, mm-hmm. they brought in Sam Bauer, who is one of the, uh, three editors on Donnie Darko. We thought the movie was in good hands, mm-hmm. you know, and I was frustrated, but lo and behold, two, two years go by. And that's the, um, the movie that, that was, that was delivered and that was not really what they what was promised either so your disappointment is uh, mirrored by by many yeah and, and like i said I, I i felt kind of bad feeling that way because i'm like i could see the film in here but there was just something off i mean i yeah, love you can I, tell I, it's in there right yeah, yeah. It, if you watch right. enough films you can tell there's something in here but it's missing i mean the the creature design was great i mean you had you know, you've got some great stuff in here. And then you have this, the stuff with the characters and, and you could tell where that was just like, wow, did these fall into Hollywood cliches, which, you know, in all honesty, you're, you're not too familiar, used to seeing in an indie film like this um, initially. So, you know, it's just a very interesting background that, that, that happened. And the fact that you had the film taken away before it was even completed, I never even fathomed that could happen to, someone uh does that happen <laughs> uh more often than not do you know or uh, you know where it happened before where uh, oh, yeah. Film? yeah yeah this is not rake is not my first rate believe mm-hmm. me yeah, it's happened it, it's happened several times and like i said the the um the higher i move up in the food chain uh especially from an editorial desk you know you have to step away from what you're working on mm-hmm. you can be emotionally invested in it and i try not to be rake was a little bit different because everyone that was working on it we had all basically come up together um in terms of uh our career paths 
mm-hmm. and we all still work together. Um, that's why I was close to it. You know, I spent, uh, for the most part, the better half of four months away from my wife and son to work on this movie. So you, you bet your ass I was, I was tied to it emotionally. You're not supposed to be. And, um, I definitely learned a, a valuable lesson there. Whereas you can't get too close to a movie, even if it's your own. Um, and any editor that w- wanted advice from me, besides you need to spend 10,000 hours honing your craft before you can be considered any good. Sure. I would say do not put yourself in that position, which is to become almost psychologically, but certainly emotionally attached to a uh, to a motion picture because <laughs> there are consequences to that. And if you know, movies become obsession naturally. Mm-hmm. There, there are movies are they're an organic phenomenon, so it's just normal that you become in tune to how it shapes and develops and the farther that goes you could drive yourself fucking crazy (laughs) yeah i i uh remember quite distinctly uh cory udler who's done a number you know incest death squad and a number of others uh talking to him about it he said yeah once the film was done and like on a dvd or or whatnot ready for distribution he goes it's not my film anymore. I'm done. I cut myself off. I'm like, he's like, it's no longer my film. And I think that's what you're, you're saying as well. You know, you kind of have to cut yourself off emotionally. Otherwise, yeah, when stuff like this happens, I can see how that might, uh, might <laughs> upset you. Um, because you do put so much effort and work into it and then to see what someone else might do to it. Um, if you're attached to it, that can make it a challenge, but. And, and, uh, and, and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if that movie had improved on what we were working with Mm -hmm. we would have been hey kudos to you guys you put in a lot more effort than we thought and you delivered exactly what you said you were going to deliver which is a a movie everyone's going to like horror fans and and perhaps even fans um that don't specialized in 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 watching these types of movies um but that's not what happens so we are conversation (laughs) (laughs) and like i said this this is not the first or last time this is going to happen again and i guess the point i'm trying to make is it's it's really important for all filmmakers to understand that this is an inevitable part of the process and i don't care what your role is i don't care if you're in production i don't care if you're set dresser I don't care if you're a goddamn grip, you know, it's, it, it has to affect everyone that does this because you do work hard. You know, everyone I work with works fucking hard on these things. I don't care what the budget is. I got colleagues that bust their ass. Everyone I know busts their ass that are in this business, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the frustrating part is just, you just work so hard and you want to see a payoff and it's just sometimes, and you know, Oh yeah, move on. <laughs> oh, I, I I know that feeling. I mean, it's it it goes along not just with this, but you know, people wonder why, um, you know, well, it, for many reasons. But when you get into the whole aspect of of people uh, posting films for download on the interwebs, uh, you know, I was 
involved in a film. I was the script supervisor for one uh, with Derek Carey, um, who, uh, you know, he uh, helped put together this um, anthology film, Hole in the Wall. And unfortunately, oh, I, know the wall. Hmm? I know Hole in the Wall. Yeah, I know Derek. Yeah. Yeah, Derek. You, mm-hmm. it, yeah it, and so Derek uh, had me on the crew. You know, I remember putting in really really long hours on the shoots and uh you know hot weather in a barn and all this work we put into it and you know it was ready to release out to the world and he you know he gave it to some people for reviewing that and then we learned that it was out on the webs being pirated you know on file share and i was like wow so this is how that feels isn't it <laughs> i was like yeah doesn't take long. I'll tell you that much. It doesn't take long. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's it's not a great feeling at all when you sit there and you go, "Wow!" And, and, you know, it, it's an indie film. He's distributing it himself, basically. You're like sitting here going, "Man, it wasn't even you know he wasn't even charging that much for for video on demand." But someone went out there and and shared it, and it's just like, "What the hell?" You know. <laughs> It just it is a bad feeling when when you get that, but because you're emotionally attached, because it's when you're working and busting your ass on a film like that, you know, uh, any film, you know, people are taking time off on their weekends and in their spare hours because uh, they got different day jobs, and then they put this together, and then the filmmaker, the director, wants to try to make something of this, and you know, possibly a, a, a little bit of uh, profit of some kind, and you have that just pulled out from under you. And you're emotionally attached. It it's tough, and it just yeah, it's it's not a good feeling. But I here's there's a flip side to this. It's a mm-hmm. shitty flip side, but there is a flip side. At least someone thought enough of your movie to pirate it. <laughs> yep, that's I mean, true. I, I really, I <laughs> that's not a great rationalization, nor is it a justification. But I just. <laughs> I'm normally not a silver lining type of guy. I'm actually more of a cynic, but I always tell people that I'm like, you know what? Hey, it, it, they clearly saw something they liked. So they figured, fuck it. I'm going to put torn up. And then, you know, <laughs> at, le- <laughs> at least it's out there, right? <laughs> right. Look at it that way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. A shitty way to look at it, but that is the world we're in now. <laughs> it, it is. It makes you feel at least a little better that, well, these people are watching it. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not the way you wanted to, but uh, so not only editor, but you uh, do direct and you actually directed, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, a piece in the skeletons in the closet. Uh, I was going to ask you, uh, moving to the director's chair and being uh, editor, does being the editor help you in handling your direction of a project? Uh, Yeah, there's several different types of um directors um personally uh if i was if i was a producer and i was hiring i would hire an editor director combo not because i'm cheap and you get two for the price of one but editors normally are editors slash directors are very very resourceful and they're always the most efficient like i like to keep coverage to a i like to do a lot of sit-ups setups but i i keep the coverage to um or the take count low like mm-hmm. i'll i'll do i'll give you a great example on dismantler one of the first scenes in the uh, the old pink um 55 cat um yeah the cadillac mm-hmm. or the no, no no yeah 
the 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 pink car in the opening of the movie. Right. We did uh, we did almost twenty setups. Me and Rob went three sixty around that car. I think that was the only piece of direction I gave Rob. I'm like, look, this is what we're gonna do. I don't care what you do. I just want to get around the car with twenty different setups. I want to move all the way around. So if you notice that scene carefully, we're constantly moving around the car because trouble is starting to brew around them. Right. So, but this is what I told the actors. I was like, all right, guys, we don't have a lot of time, which we didn't. We had to shoot that fucking movie fast because we were in the middle, literally, of a junkyard. Okay, <laughs> it sucked. It was hot. There was bees. There was garbage. I know there was shit buried in there all over the place. So we, it, it's almost a documentary because you know there's bodies somewhere. <laughs> that place was not fun. All right. So I told the actors, look, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get one take. You're going to get one take of every setup. So if you fuck up, I'm just going to cut anyway. So just don't. Otherwise, you're not getting any close-ups. <laughs> so the point of that story is that I've got the movie in my head already. Right. You know, sometimes, when you're, especially when you're shooting an action movie, sometimes performance is not really relevant because so, you have to, you know what I mean? Especially when you're really, re if I showed you what that movie cost, by the way, you'd be shocked. We made that for, you know. A high-end lunch. It was sure. not. We just had to move very, very quickly. But if you have an editor-director combo, they're usually the most efficient filmmakers. They'll keep your take counts low. Um, they don't want to have to stare at coverage, so they're not going to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot, especially the same goddamn thing over and over and over again, like some filmmakers do. Sure. Um, you just don't want to stare at that, and you know. You're you're never gonna not think like an editor, so you're going to direct like an editor. Mm -hmm. um, however, there's another flip side to that too. Um, editors that that take the air ch the a chair after a while, and and move and move into directing, they get criticized as do DPs that go into directing for being less interested in um, dialogue and performance. Um, now if you hang me for being a quote, actors, director, you're probably going to hang an innocent person. Um, <laughs> but once again, once again, that comes, that comes with experience mm -hmm. and it also depends on, on the project. You know, if you put me into the director's chair, um, on a film with a lot of dialogue, um, that's, that's narrative heavy and is, is being driven by performance. Well, then you have to change your hat. You just you just become a different director. But if you're doing horror and action, mm -hmm. it's a totally different style of filmmaking, in my opinion. Because you realize that possibly people are a little bit more interested in the action or the horror bits rather than the performance. Totally, totally. Mm -hmm. And the benefit we had, and I don't think people actually understand this, the benefit we had on both Grandma O'Malley's Pantry and The Dismantler, especially in The Dismantler, is what you're watching is supposed to resemble a B-movie. Um, well, when we shot that, this was, in the, this was in the early stages of Chop Shop. We had four different movies from four different filmmakers, and the tone and atmosphere of the other three were very, very similar. So Rob and I decided to turn Dismantler into more of an action movie, which is why it moves so fucking fast. Mm -hmm. I mean, it moves fast. I think I may have used every single piece of coverage we had. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the intention. It was supposed to be a drive-in movie. Um, that's why I wasn't particularly concerned with um, Tony Lee's performance. If you watch it carefully in the opening of the movie, he has an accent that that, that comes and goes throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 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 pretty funny because I'd love to tell you that that was on purpose, but it wasn't. But it actually works out <laughs> for the film. It it does make it work. Uh, it, it does work for the the whole uh, tone of the film. And uh, did you have a large crew for that <laughs> short or shirt or the shoot? No, not even close. Yeah, <laughs> not even close, Mark. Wow. Oh man, we had uh, <laughs> not much on that. <laughs> Let me tell you how little we had to work with on that film. Towards the uh, towards the end of the second act, when Tony Tony approaches, um, when when Tank Top or Jackass approaches Rat, played by Steve Lebeds, you know that sequence where he shoots him right in yeah. the chest. <laughs> okay, that production design there was built. Um, actually, I built some of that with John Potter, believe it or not. Oh, okay, but the. John helped stack some of those tires. And the rest of it I built on my own. I was my own production designer. I was basically my own scout. So, yeah. Like like I said, that movie... <laughs> that movie's uh, quite a miracle. <laughs> I think Tony's budget on Grandma um, was three times mine. Oh, so, okay. Put that in the perspective. Yeah, it was... <laughs> but like I said, if you know what you're doing, you can make it fly for nothing. You just got to move quickly. Real quickly, real, real quickly, and that's where I have a lot of mad respect for indie films. It's, uh, I always appreciate how much uh, f- indie filmmakers do with what little I think people don't realize they have for a, a film, and you get innovated. And uh, yeah, that's why I always I really have an appreciation for that. Um, you know, whether or not the the film ends up being uh, uh, good or not, and. I really dug skeletons in the closet quite a bit. In fact, I was hoping that, uh, you know, he had Ellie Church as the widow and uh, her her husband, her undead husband. I was I was wanted to see more. Uh, you know, they were felt like real horror hosts. Uh, well, we're trying to make it into a show, so if that's what you want to see, um, uh, our distributor feels the same way. And you got to remember. Here's the thing about skeletons that I, I don't think a lot of people appreciate. Skel- that was not our intention when mm-hmm. we first set out to do this. This movie is basically a lot of ingenuity, a lot of hard work, a lot of luck, and just a lot of patchwork filmmaking. That's really what you're watching. We We had to figure out a way to get the three other films inside of an uh, of an anthology inside of another anthology because that's really what you're watching you're watching an anthology in an anthology it's it's actually kind of mind-numbing when you think about it but that's really what it is a bit a bit inception like almost (laughs) yeah and that was obviously not not our intention from the onset but we made it work you know that's what you get when you don't have we don't have a lot of financial resources all you have is your brain. So I'll give all of us credit. You know, we, we made that fly. Um, and it's, I agree with, it's not a perfect movie. 
you know, it's like every movie. It's flawed, but it also has uh, it has something for everybody. And I will say this: um, it's certainly fun. There's no doubt about that. Oh, it, it's definitely fun, especially the wraparound story with the little girl. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like that. And isn't she? Isn't uh, isn't Lainey Connor who plays um, Jamie? Isn't she adorable? Oh, she was great. I was like. Wow, I mean, you know, I've I've seen uh, young uh, actors and actresses in indie films before, but she was, yeah, she was perfect for that part. Actually, Tony is a very is is very adept at casting. He's probably one of the best, um, at that job that I've seen in a director. Um, and I don't even know if that was so much the way he worked with her or her natural ability, but they, they worked very, very well together. And she was a, she was a dream to have on set. Mm -hmm. She's very easy to work with, takes direction very, very well. And, um, she's just naturally gifted actress, which is really, really shouldn't be surprising at all because children for the most part, young adults, teenagers, um, they're a little bit more open. Mm -hmm. taking chances i think sometimes and even adults are so i'm really not surprised um but yeah she's definitely one of the highlights of the film that's that's what i've been hearing yeah she she really adds that a little extra uh creepy kid element which <laughs> i always love i always love creepy kids when they're done properly uh but i'm a big fan of the you know the the bad seeds so oh yeah um, and she goes from adorable to full-on psycho in seconds i mean that's how good she is yeah, it it definitely uh, fit the part for I sure. I think everybody, and I think everybody in the movie. I think we got a, we got some really great performances from a lot of people. I mean, there's a full spectrum of 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 different acting styles. You know, mm -hmm. there really are. And I think it was just, you know, like I said before, there's a little bit of luck there. But I think people really gravitated to the project. Um, and I think working with us has to be fun. I can only assume it's fun. I mean. I'm probably not any fun to be around when I'm when I'm cutting, but I suppose on set it's probably different. But it's uh, <laughs> I, I would hope people want to work with us. <laughs> uh, now you bet you had mentioned High on the Hog because uh, uh, you know I, that was a film that I had seen a trailer for for a while now. And is that film out yet? Or are they still searching for distribution <laughs> for that? Do you know? Because oh, Jesus, I've, I've seen but a dollar every time I got to ask this question. <laughs> Well, because I saw the trailer, uh, I, I don't know how, uh, you know, a while back, I, and I'm like, oh, this looks great, and then didn't hear much of anything, then I saw another trailer for it, I'm like, oh, cool, and I'm like, where is it? It's <laughs> a good question. Well, this is what I can tell you. Um, the movie has been sold by a distributor in California. Oh, okay. And my guess is that High in the Hog is going to have a, a domestic and an international release. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm guessing that the domestic may be before the end of this year, but I'm not I'm not certain. Sure, uh, there is some speculation that it's actually going to 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 market AFM, which I believe is first week in November. I don't know that. Um, I don't really know what the distribution details are, but I do know this. That movie is 100% complete, 
we just signed off on a new trailer um, that I built that was sent off um, a couple of weeks ago. So we're guessing that that's going to be part of their new pitch package. So I, I'm guessing that it should be out very, very soon. And I'll tell you right now, the making, the making of that movie, and especially its post-production, would make an awesome documentary. That's how long this has been going on. It's been going on for quite a while. So yeah. if you're excited to see it, trust me, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> well, just all the people in it, the fact, you know, I, uh, I love a lot of the, the performers you have in it, including Robert Zadar, um, who was in there. You know, I saw he, he made an appearance. And I'm like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> you know, where oh, is Bobby's, Bobby's great in this. You know, this, yeah. this believe it or not, and, and I, I'm a lover. I'm a lover of Grindhouse and B films and 80s action. So. As you can imagine, I know quite a bit of Bobby Z and and Joe Estevez's um, mm -hmm. library, and this is without a doubt, without a doubt, um, in his top ten. And I'm not saying that because I'm the editor of the movie. I'm saying that because I have seen so much of his work. By the way, I, I was at Nightmares last weekend in Ohio. Um, Skeletons was screened there with a whole bunch of other awesome movies. And we followed the 4K restoration of Bill Lustig's Maniac. Oh, nice. So after Maniac screened, before Skeleton started, um, I went up to Bill and I was like, hey, give me, a, give me a Bobby story. And he gave us a couple. By the way, very, very nice director. Very, very smart guy. Um, but he said the same thing. Bobby was... He could. He was difficult at times, but he would have given you the 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 shirt off of his back. Yeah, he he seemed like I got a chance to meet him uh, at a film festival here in Madison a number of years ago, and I got the chance to interview him and and also hang with him for a good chunk of the day. And he was he had some stories, but he just seemed like a really really good guy. You know, I mean, he he was down to earth. Um. It it was great hearing some of the stories he had about you know with some of the f bigger films that he's worked on and uh, yeah it was it was cool to to get to know him at least just a little bit in that short time that I was able to talk to him so yeah when I saw he was involved in High and the Hog I was like you already sold me with the other people and then when I saw he was in it I'm like okay yeah bring bring it on so <laughs> so hopefully we do get to see that soon um, well because... and the new version of the movie. Too. In, in my in my cut of the film, I expanded um, I expanded Bobby Z's role in the the former edit of this movie. The um, I don't think that the editor really understood who Zadar was. Sure, um, and this wasn't his, and I don't blame him for this at all. But I don't think he 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 gave him his just desserts because he didn't understand his impact. But we also have to keep in keep in mind though that the the first version of this film that was completed was not a grindhouse movie it was more of a uh procedural cop drama um and it was uh different sure. than what you're about to see what you're what the new version of hog is it's insane <laughs> probably the only way to put it it's, it's 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 nuts and once again it's extremely fun it is a fucking riot and if you're a fan of bobby z 
Joe Estevez, who this is probably Joe's best movie, and I'm 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 not exaggerating. And I've seen a lot of Joe's work. This is easily, and in fact, this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this movie is I wanted to I wanted I wanted to make sure Joe's Joe's performance was changed. But if you're a Sid Haig fan, Ellie Church fan, Ellie's great in this. Um, <laughs> Jesse Boyd from Mindhunters in this. You know, there's some. There's some great performances in this movie. Well, we definitely look forward to uh, hopefully seeing that soon and keep an eye out for it. Uh, you know, so I think we'll uh, wrap it up here for the evening um, with this. Uh, so, uh, what do you got on your platter in the in, in, coming up? You mentioned you have uh, you you have uh, jobs coming through all the time, but anything uh, that you maybe want to plug or of note that's. Uh, uh, let's see. What can I plug? Uh, the one I want to plug, I can't plug because I can't talk about it yet. But oh, okay. uh, I can tell you this. We are trying to get Skeletons in the Closet turned into a uh, television show. Um, we'll have more information about that towards the end of the year, early, early next year. Um, I've got another movie out that just came back from L.A. that just screened it. Chicago International Film Festival. It's screening in uh, New York next month. Actually, it's screening at my alma. It's screening at my alma mater on uh, November tenth or eleventh. Uh, uh, it's called Olympia, which is a completely different movie um, than than what 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 most people are used to from me. It's a um, uh, rom drum. Oh, okay. And people are shocked that I actually can cut a movie without cutting to an explosion or. <laughs> but that's how I actually got my start. So, uh, but I'll have you know we're gonna do this again, you and I, especially once uh, one hog comes out, and we'll probably have more info then about uh, about skeletons. But uh, let's see what else. I'm on another couple of movies, but I don't, I don't. I should have probably got clearance if I can talk about them. So I better should just shut up for now. Sure, <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> do you have a, a website or something where uh, are you on the, the the social medias where people can follow you uh, to keep up? With um, you? September Sun Films is everywhere. Um, I don't actually uh, publicize myself through my name. I use September Sun Films. I've got okay. a website, a Vimeo page. I'm on Instagram. I'm actually on Twitter, which I don't use, but I love Instagram. And of course, you can find me on uh, the ubiquitous Facebook. Sure. <laughs> well, uh, can't get away from that thing, huh? No, you can't. You can't seem to get away from that. It's like kind of like, uh, okay, fine. I'll use the devil's tool. Fine. Well, thing, uh, <laughs> if you're if you're an artist of any kind mm -hmm. and you want to promote, you have to use you have to use social media. You have to use Facebook, at least in some capacity. Well, yeah, I've I've seen that talk too now, where uh, that's sometimes part of the hiring process is how much social media following do you have? Totally, totally. <laughs> if you want to promote a movie, you have to use the big the the, the it, it, I'd say the big three. But all right, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Ben. Well, I appreciate you taking time tonight to talk, sir. Uh, this was a lot of fun and informative and yeah when when high on the hog if it when it when it does that if when it gets released i uh, would love to get uh together again and talk about that film and and some more about uh video editing and uh, indie filmmaking so uh, i i definitely appreciate your time sir tonight uh and uh yeah thank you very much well thank you very much i appreciate i appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and 
I definitely look forward to talking to you soon. Sounds good.